Welcome to this Positively Deviant production. This episode is part of a series exploring decision intelligence and laying out a pedagogy for upskilling the quality of our decisions. Today, we're covering the core skill of working with paradox, and we'll be talking about the places where we can locate contradictions and what we can learn from them. A quick disclaimer that these conversations are deliberately more abstract than audiences are used to and may not be easy to understand. We're not speaking as influencers or academics, but we're coming from the perspective of decision intelligence in the evolution of human intelligence. We are addressing what is missing in current culture, social blind spots, and particularly in the context of humans increasingly living in a machine world. Yeah, and we're inviting people to use some of their less developed analytical muscles to make different kinds of connections within these areas of ambiguity that we all experience. And this content is for leaders and founders and learners who are committed to engaging with more than the status quo people who want to invite this kind of intelligence into their decision-making, and then in doing so, take bigger and more intelligent risks. Human intelligence is different than machine intelligence. And this point in the Starkly pedagogy pinpoints a specific kind of human intelligence that is, I think, being lost. And paradox is probably one of the most humanly nuanced places, as it's the place of poetry, where realities are not what they seem, are not literal and not one-to-one. So to quickly define paradox, a paradox is a situation, experience, or concept that appears contradictory or logically inconsistent, but with a closer look reveals a hidden truth. Common examples are one must spend money to make money. The only rule is there are no rules. Life is too important to be taken seriously, and we must slow down to speed up. A paradox is a kind of contradiction that presents a dilemma, and as these examples show, challenge assumptions about what we think we know to be true. The work that we're up to here is exploring how individuals can more intelligently reorganize themselves, both internally and externally, to make better decisions. So understanding paradox helps us to think in more sophisticated, less binary, literal, and machine-like ways, and to understand contradiction as an important key to generating greater and more accurate forms of intelligence. All right. One of my favorites is everything in moderation, even moderation. So let's take a quick look at an example of a paradox in recent history to help listeners try this concept on with a bit more context. One of the biggest paradoxes that businesses have really had to wrestle with recently is all of our COVID-induced dilemma around returning to an office versus continuing to work from home. And we've seen companies of all sizes struggling to navigate the fact that employees are more productive and happier from home, and they're more productive and happier working from an office. So the question becomes, and the question we're going to unpack in this episode is how can both be true? And then more importantly, what can we learn by being able to hold both of these opposing statements as true simultaneously versus rejecting one and accepting the other? And then building our strategies from this kind of limitation. We know intuitively, as well as from all the reports that have been published over the last four years, that the two options, working from home or working from an office, they both have legs to stand on, depending on the context. But instead of inviting the contradiction to teach us what we might be missing, and then using it to form our strategies and to respond to the deeper and more complex needs of humans, Leaders who have been trained in these binary ways of thinking 
have chosen one model and double down on it instead of using the paradox in this situation to get better at understanding what is underneath the dilemma. So what we're offering is that this paradox can help us reveal the nuances in what people want from their work and want from their lives and start to understand how commuting or access to resources or training or opportunities for promotions or the ability to do a load of laundry during the day while you're working from home or pick your kids up from school, even the importance of reducing our carbon emissions how all of these things get weighted and prioritized differently by different individuals. And then you layer on their stage of life, right? And that even what's seen as good for one person right now might change in five years. And the model that we're using to think through this complexity, the current model is failing us. So instead, the fact that companies have real estate contracts or feel the need to control their employees by requiring them to be in person is governing the decision and creating a bias, even for some of these reports. So while companies keep changing and evolving their strategies and rolling out new return to office policies and offering different kinds of incentives, they're trying to create even new ways of measuring attendance. What we're calling out here is that they're missing both the real problem and the real opportunity. Yeah, exactly. Accepting and rejecting are primary ways of operating as humans, meaning we either accept something or reject it, which leads to bias and binary thinking. So instead, we can learn that there is a neutral place where we can hold all the things without accepting or rejecting them, where many things are true at the same time. So the example you just gave, Chelsea, that many people are incredibly productive inside the office and many people are far more productive at their home, these are opposite, and yet both of these things are true. So instead of creating a strategy that prioritizes both, leaders pick one to prioritize. And by the way, hybrid work is not an intelligent solution here because it doesn't address anyone's needs enough. Hybrid work still rejects the fact that some people don't ever need to come into an office or that some people don't consider it a perk to stay home. So for leaders to engage the intelligence of this paradox, they would have to allow their employees to function as fully grown ass adults and allow them to determine what works best for them individually and the specific work that they agreed to, rather than create rules that ignore the vast human paradoxes around productivity. So this is a perfect example of how an existing paradox surfaces a new possibility where we can allow our employees to decide for themselves. And these kinds of expansive solutions are even more important in new understandings around neurodivergence and inside the realities of racism, sexism, and ableism. Leaders need to evolve their thinking and how companies work with humans inside all the different working styles and with different needs from person to person. It is possible, and not only possible, it is incredibly effective to meet multiple human needs at the same time. Yeah, quick note to leaders who are like, wow, that sounds like a lot of work. You're absolutely right. It is not only more work, it's the right kind of work. And when you're dealing with a topic as complex as the environment where humans need to thrive, it surfaces even more opportunities for complexity because not all humans thrive in the same environment. And how do we even define or hopefully we're redefining what it looks like to thrive? How are we defining productivity? Some employees define productivity more holistically, right? So considering that the most common essential factor in workplace productivity and performance 
benefits is job satisfaction. This begins to beg the question, how do productivity and happiness intersect? So we know that employees who don't want to return to the office are already in some ways disengaged, right? They're over it. They just kind of want this contractual agreement where they perform job duties and they get the paycheck which is fine. And then we also have younger generations who are hungry for learning and growth. And we know that this kind of development is fostered in an office type environment. So you can see how inviting contradictions and paradox to the picture, it's not just helpful, it's critical. It's totally critical. And paradox is embedded in the human experience and is often confusing. And probably as a result, it's a huge part of art. As we're examining how leaders and learners can grow, art helps us reorganize ourselves because art reveals all these contradictions and the paradoxes and inversions, that things are not what they seem. Paintings and performances of all kinds show us how life and people are never only good or only bad, but that individuals are complicated, messy, and contain all kinds of contradictions of character and behavior. People can be both generous and greedy, both thoughtful and selfish, or can have bodies that look strong, but in actuality lack strength. The list goes on for how humans are an ever-changing mix of better thans and less thans simultaneously. When we recognize that things are not what they seem, and rarely as simple as society makes them seem, this recognition invites us into more critical thinking and to have a sort of night vision, as I call it. The aim is to see what's more hidden to the untrained mind. As I found paradoxes in myself and found paradoxes in art, I wanted to integrate these realities into my work. And the intelligence of contradiction reveals realities that are hidden. And having this information translates into better decisions as a result of new information. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned part of what we're up to is exposing where our social conditioning influences our decision-making, especially how it's limiting us. And so one of society's strongest messages is that credibility stems from one right, true answer, and that multiple things can't be true at the same time. So it's understandable that humans feel uncomfortable holding these seemingly contradictory pieces of information or situations simultaneously to help people keep listening for where they might see contradiction in their own life. As if you've ever heard that the only certainty is that nothing is ever certain, or the only constant is change, or the more you fail, the more likely you are to succeed. The more you learn, this one's true for me, the more you realize how little you actually know, right? So I know you have some more personal examples working with paradox in your personal life. What has that revealed to you? Well, yeah, in my personal development, I'm naturally driven to have an impact, to have a powerful contribution in ways that are unique and atypical. However, this very drive to have something deeper and greater and bigger and better was also a blind spot. And this duality meant that some of my weaknesses were actually embedded inside an admirable strength. So when I could recognize this paradox where the pursuit of something good was also producing something less good or bad, I could begin to see a more complex reality that allowed me to change. We're taught to set and achieve a particular goal, to focus on the goal and the steps that are required to achieve it. But if we're overly focused on an external outcome, like having a powerful contribution or being the best or having this achievement, We often do not develop the internal states and the internal growth necessary to make these outcomes sustainable and inevitable. There's less integration into who we are and therefore less internal capacity to sustain. 
Another paradox here that comes to mind is the more we dig into our strengths, we naturally overcome some of our weak spots. Our weaknesses are often the outcome of a less masterful use of our strengths. So the more skillful we become in our strengths, we effectively solve much of our weaknesses. For example, I'm amazing at jolting people into a new perspective where I can generate a kind of vitality. But when I'm less masterful, it's just jolting people for the sake of a jolt, which can lead to a loss of vitality, which is my weak spot, actually. There are layers in the paradox that are nuanced based on not what, but how masterfully we apply our strengths. And a less popular form of strength that socially we often deprioritize or deny is the ability to see our own bias and locate our blind spots. And here's the paradox. A commitment to expose our weakness is the path to strength. Just like systems and structures around business protect against revealing failure, this is also the very reason systems cannot improve. It's the same with people. Leaders don't feel comfortable in places of exposure, and so they perform vulnerability or whatever trait they're expected to show that proves them to be valuable. We all know people who perform empathy or use empathetic words when empathy isn't a part of who they are on a daily basis. People have learned how to signal for these qualities because they either do not know how or do not want to do the work to become or embody them. These are the nuanced areas that we're speaking to. It's not as it seems. Things are not as they appear to be. And how can we learn to look a little deeper and more comprehensively to understand how we can use paradox to create pathways of seeing more nuanced realities? For me, after all these years, the practice of being exposed is a good feeling, finally. <laughs> it's because it's the way to build strength. And a metaphor here might be how businesses stress test security. We put all kinds of protocols and practices in place to stress test our technology around security. The intention of that is to find out where the breaches are and find out where the weak points are so that they can be addressed and then fortified. This is similar to the personal process of growth. Unfortunately, we see this natural human self-protection strategy of egoism running rampant across the leaders and founders that we've worked with. And this is the most common approach to leadership that we see. And the reason that we're calling it out here is because it undermines the ability to be preventative, to invite those checks and balances, and then to protect the businesses that we're running. So the very place where the ego tries to self-protect is actually where it leaves that person the most vulnerable and weak. And this protection mode that the ego is trying to instigate and the walls that we build around ourselves to do that instead of exposing our weaknesses are how we end up more exposed down the line. So our invitation for leaders who are willing to be stress tested and to expose their weaknesses and to use paradox and to work with contradiction is that it is absolutely a tool, or you called it a pathway of seeing to aid their own development. And we're also shining a light on the places where egoism kicks in and where we put walls up so that those places don't continue to make us weak and vulnerable. And this, again, is the most common thing that people do. And so the point of paradox is how can we locate the opposites that are showing up? that our drives and our actions are resulting in the opposites of what we intend them to be. And this really reminds me of working in people and culture and all of these tech companies, they put core values up on a wall or they integrate them in all kinds of areas of their people programs. 
and well-intentioned for sure, right? Like raising my hand, I have been part of this kind of work. And we get that it's a drive towards greater meaning and purpose, right? Well-intentioned. But ironically or paradoxically, the very effort that we're putting towards this drive for greater meaning can be experienced as insignificant and empty. So we end up getting the very opposite of what we're setting out to do. Companies want to set out and say our core values absolutely drive us and they are significant to us and end up sabotaging that very goal, making them insignificant. This is so common, exactly as you said, Chelsea. And there are two things true here that are happening at the same time, which is a desire that is causing us to do something essentially good. And at the same time, an unskilled act of doing something without being connected to the agenda behind it can become something totally different. As a matter of fact, as you said, it's the opposite. And in terms of branding, businesses have these ideas and values that they want to communicate to the world. And yet when they declare it so, it often becomes something hypocritical. And the opposite occurs because they haven't built or demonstrated the actual qualities they are proclaiming. They've only uh, declared beliefs in those qualities. And this is a really interesting place to investigate in ourselves, in our society, and in our systems of business. Where are we faking ourselves out because we think our intention equals reality? Just because we value money, believe in money and say we have money doesn't mean we actually have money. Show us the receipts. <laughs> and, um, and another example is trying to get pregnant. Many people have gone down this path where they're creating a very technical, logical plan, but this technical plan doesn't account for the emotional and psychological drives or needs that are affecting the outcome. So there's a paradox here. Often the story ends up being when you stop trying, then many women get pregnant. And I don't want to discount the women who are actively trying and do indeed achieve pregnancy, but there's this relationship here. Sometimes what we set out to do ends up resulting in the opposite. Yeah. Another example that comes to mind, I think we could go all day on these, right? Because they're so prevalent in the work that we do is I've seen growing and scaling companies who so desperately want to hold on to the culture that was to preserve it, right? It was a beautiful thing. Those early days. And this very action of holding on to it ends up destroying and undermining the company that is becoming and any elements of what had been that are useful for the future. And we talk about becoming in another episode, but the point here is that everything you're doing towards a particular goal is actually causing that very goal to fail. Or as you just shared more so, the strategy towards achieving it is the very thing that causes it to fail. And the note here is that without the skills to deploy it. Another piece of this puzzle is the belief disconfirmation paradigm. Can you share with us a little bit about how that relates to this problem we're facing? Right. Yes. What binary thinking does is it reduces everything to two options. And the problem with that is, is that most of the time, multiple things are true at the same time. But people are inherently driven to hold only one thing at the same time. And so what happens when there are too many factors that people cannot easily compute, the drive to have a quick resolve and no contradiction takes over and we engage this belief disconfirmation paradigm, which is how people resolve conflicting beliefs and conflicting emotions by rejecting one of them. 
they make this resolve less consciously. So they're only left with a singular belief and a singular emotion. It's really uncomfortable to hold a head full of contradictions where many things can be true at the same time, or when multiple emotions can be present at the same time. Most can't make sense of it. So they have to start reducing to make any sense. And so people reject everything but one because this brain conditioned logic wants to prove that two opposing forces can't be true, that there's no sense inside contradiction. And this is why paradox is so important. Paradox is where certain kinds of logic break and we're forced to consider in new ways. Yeah, I mean, talk about a paradox where logic breaks. We have final example, I think, for this episode is the example of flying, where gravity is absolutely true. And also when we fly, we are absolutely defying it. And both are true at the same time. The reality is that we need both. We absolutely need gravity and must have gravity in order for us to all hop in an airplane and sit in our seats while we fly across the country or across the globe. So the paradox reveals where the limitations are of fixed thinking. The more people use paradox to see different truths and how all of it can exist and how all of it is related, and the more we understand ambiguity to be a friend and not a foe, the more we find a huge advantage. Most humans don't like ambiguity. Leaders, workers, and very few people like to exist in ambiguity. And yet ambiguity is the place of humility and curiosity and new information. Paradox helps us learn to be comfortable with ambiguity. Paradox helps us learn how to exist inside ambiguity and how rich with different kinds of intelligence ambiguity can lead us to. These concepts are all tied, all related. And you gave a great example of flying that multiple things are true at the same time, even though they're contradictory. How do we understand this to be more and more true in our circumstances, both in our internal and external realities? How can we see this more clearly, the multiple truths, the multiple contexts? This is the goal. And where can individuals get to a more sophisticated, broader thinking by inviting this kind of contradiction and uncovering what these paradoxes and contradictions are? Yeah, I mean, being a badass leader and being vulnerable and weak and needy can all be true at the same time. And inviting that discomfort is what makes you a good leader. So you have to find a way to work with gravity and not reject it ultimately. Let's add some wings, invite more opportunities, invite more possibilities by inviting more intel to the picture. So without being able to acknowledge and then be comfortable with our weaknesses, we'll never get to the point of truly being strong. Exactly. I mean, without acknowledging the ways that we miss the mark and we're less honest, we will never be able to be truly honest. This is a paradox. This is the power of being able to hold multiple things that are true at the same time that seem opposing and contradictory. Yeah, our overall invitation is to notice where binary thinking shows up and to leverage these contradictions as sources of intelligence to find out what we've been missing in our decision-making. So if this information is compelling to you, but you're asking yourself how I could even begin to start working with it because it sounds so aspirational, but not very tangible, then we'd love to work with you on embedding this into your personal leadership development or on your team or in your company. We offer in-person practicums where we work with these concepts in your real life circumstances so that you can reap the benefits. And if you don't want to wait, we've provided questions in the show notes to get you started working with the material. 
And we have several episodes about core skills that can help develop decision intelligence. And we invite you to listen to all those as well. To engage with us, reach out via the link in our show notes and make sure to click the follow button so you don't miss out on future episodes.